Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Firms Consulting Podcast. I'm going to stick on the theme of strategy studies and how to do them, you know, how to do studies of, you know, I would say even better levels of quality than McKinsey and BCG. And you can watch us live blog this on Firms Consulting forward slash live blog, right? The point here is that most consultants who work at tier two firms, internal corporate strategy units, and even MBA programs have a very superficial view of what um, happens in these very elite corporate strategy studies. In fact, you have the wrong view. I'll tell you that right now. And what we're doing through the live blogging of an actual study taking place right now, live in the United States, and what we're doing through the corporate strategy training we have is to show you how strategy is really done. And it's very different from what you think. But today's podcast is going to focus on a very specific topic for people working at firms, right? Consultants anyway. What happens when you're doing a study and you realize that there's a potentially bigger study that, that could come out of this? For, exa- for example, when we started the study to help a lab, which is a very large Latin American bank, figure out how to enter, figure out whether it was worthwhile entering the U.S. retail banking market and how to do that, we assumed that would be the scope of the study. But it is very quickly apparent to us after just three days in the study that there's a bigger, broader issue here. That is, lab itself is not doing well and may need to be restructured. So that you're in, we're now in a situation whereby, as consultants, we know there's a bigger study that is going to come up, restructuring a lab. So now, when you do it, when you identify this issue in a study, what would you do? And when I say you, I don't know, I'm always applying my partner mindset because that's what I was when I worked at the you know, elite firms, and that's the role I have now. Do I, A, ignore the biggest strategy and fo- ignore the biggest study that needs to happen and focus on the study I'm doing now? That's option A. Option B is to focus on both. Try to finish the study I'm doing now and have a team of people try to get the rest of the work to restructure the broader client. Or C, do I stop doing what I'm doing now and tell the client, hey, you've got a bigger problem about restructuring your business even before you think about entering the U.S. market that's restructured the business? Well, this is an interesting one because it's a dilemma most companies face. And I'm going to tell you the way we would have done this at McKinsey and BCG and the way we're actually going to do it now at Firms Consulting. Right? The first thing we're going to do is we're going to remember that while we may be right and, and we are right. I mean, the numbers are signed off. Um, the numbers make sense. It's not exactly rocket science to see what we are seeing. There's an issue of credibility. No matter who you are, the client has to first understand the numbers. The client has then accept the numbers, and the client has to accept what that means for their business. I think just one client understands the numbers. I think just one client, Gilermo, has a vague understanding of what it means. But I don't think any client at all is as accepted how this is going to impact their business. So our strategy here is to continue with what we are doing. Because it, the way I've thought this through is that in determining whether the US market is an attractive market, you know what most mediocre consultants would do is they would size the market, they look at the growth and the profits. But we had a little nuance there where we ask ourselves, okay, if a market is attractive, is it attractive for lab? There is a such a thing where a market could be unattractive for everyone but be attractive for a particular company. So when we do market attractiveness, we don't just do general attractiveness. We look at whether the you whether the market is attractive for this company. And to do that, we have to analyze 
the client's core businesses, their products, services, and so on, and see if it could be successful in the US. So ultimately, we are going, and very soon, I mean, it's going to start next week, we're going to be analyzing the client's capabilities, right? And we're going to be able to see, hey, you know what, this is how product A is doing, this is how product B is doing, this is how product C is doing. And we'll be able to build a more detailed case for whether the client's core business is successful or not. And through that process of focusing on our current study, we by doing our current study very well, we will do two things. We'll show the client we understand their business very well, better than anyone else has ever understood their business. And secondly, through that process of earning credibility, we will earn the right to do more. I wouldn't say more important work. This work is important, but do the bigger restructuring for them. Now, why are we doing that? Remember what the situation we're in. We have Bain here. We have the internal strategy group, which is a lot of Bain people. You know, some of my colleagues, some other elite firms like McKinsey and BCG are here as well. And they, those two groups believe that Lab should enter the U.S. market. And they're actually doing work. I'm not sure what Bain is doing, but people say they're somewhat involved there. But those two groups are, are working towards that goal. Now, if we go to the client and say, you have to restructure your business, but we haven't finished the study yet. We haven't actually earned the right to say that. There's no credibility, you know. But us just telling the client and telling everyone that look, you have to you have to check if the U.S. market is viable for this client, as put us at odds with the broad organization, right? And it obviously has raised the air, the the airs on the back of a lot of people. Now, if we go to the client and say, well, you know what, we challenge you on this small thing, but now we're going to challenge you on your core of your business, what do you think is going to happen with you know the other consulting firms and the internal strategy unit? They're going to come forward and say, hey, look, you know what? You hired these guys to tell you that they should enter, that you, you hired these guys who, who told you, this boutique firm has told you that you shouldn't enter the U.S. market, but they haven't proved it. But now, without having proved that, they want to do an even bigger study where you're restructuring the entire business, but on what? On the back of what? They haven't proved their first counterintuitive recommendation and now you want to give them an even bigger study which is impacting the entire business so no we still have to show the client that entering the u.s market is not attractive remember it's mutually exclusive the client wanting to restructure their business is different from entering the u.s market we have to show them that the u.s market is not attractive or attractive but at the same time show them that whether they are capable of entering the market and if we end up showing them look the u.s market is attractive for you but you don't have the ability to enter the U.S. market, that's fine. Then the study will shift to, okay, if the U.S. market is attractive, but lab doesn't have the ability or is not healthy enough to enter the U.S. market, how do we make them healthy? And that works out fine. If we show them that lab is, if we show them that lab is attractive, or sorry, lab is a, is a healthy business, the U.S. market is unattractive, that's fine. Then we show them that what can lab do to reach their mandate of job creation and increasing profits, even though the U.S. market is closed up to them. So no matter how many ways I cut this, I end up on the same road, which is focus on the current study because the analysis we're doing now is going to help us determine whether lab needs to focus on restructuring itself and if not, whether they should enter the U.S. market. But it's also a credibility issue, right? We are trying to build credibility here and we have built a lot of credibility and goodwill in the last week because people like the way we work, they like our style. They like the way we engage. They like our thinking. It's very clear. There's no, you know, we don't talk about 
we don't use the word this is best practice we're doing it because it's best practice no i never use that word i can always talk to clients okay this is why we're doing it this is the sequence this is the logic this is how each piece of analysis fits in together and this is why it is correct for you to do it this way even though other clients may have done it differently and i can even explain to them you know when i did the a corporate strategy for this bank in indonesia or south africa or argentina or brazil or russia um, this is the pattern we followed there and this is the reason we're following a different approach for you because your issues are different your circumstances are different your context is different the timing is different and so on so rather than just saying this is best practice this is why we did it in 15 different places i never do that I can always talk you through the logic, and I think that is the mark of a good strategy consultant. When you have to fall back and say, this is how other people do it, this is best practice, this is what everyone does, you actually don't know what you're doing. So our plan is not to focus on what would, many would call the big prize of restructuring the client, which would be a huge transformation project, the bread and butter of McKinsey and, and BCG, but we're going to do a really good job here. And, but we believe by doing a really good job here, we will earn the right to do other things. We're not even going to worry about the transformation project. And I'm sure that you know, Bain and so on and even McKinsey are probably salivating about this and throwing things at it. But we're not going to do that. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One of the clients is CEO. The client's also Guillermo. And he has done a lot of things to, to show that he supports the project. He's basically put his career on the line by working with us so closely when a lot of his colleagues don't want him to work with us. We are not going to let Guillermo down just because a bigger study has come up and jump and put all our resources in that and let him down. That's not the mark of an outstanding professional. We are committed to do this. We committed to do this not, you know, there wasn't a proviso in our contract saying we'll, we'll commit our best people to the study provided a bigger study doesn't come along. We didn't say that. We said we will commit our best people to this and we'll treat this like it was our own problem irrespective of what happens and that's what we're going to do. Even though we haven't had many interactions with the CEO, I mean, I know the CEO personally, I would say personally, I know the CEO through a colleague and I know him fairly well. We haven't had much interaction with the CEO yet by choice because he's a CEO, right? We're going to meet him. We're going to have a few discussions with him. My guess is I'll only see him probably eight times during the entire study, of which two are going to be big updates. And even though we're going to interact with the CEO, and even though we haven't seen him in the last week, at least I haven't seen him in the last week, I know it's important to him. Uh, he's got a lot of pressure from the board. He's got a lot of pressure from the investors who want him to enter the U.S. market because he's built a case for it, but he's now having second thoughts about it. It would be absolutely unprofessional of me to, to allow him to set the expectation with the board that he's going to rigorously, rigorously test this model and then back away and saying, uh, we don't want to do it because I think he'd lose credibility. And I think this, you know, if you if you just come around full circle, and we started off this podcast by saying, how would we approach this? Well, we'll approach this by focusing on the task at hand and not letting down our clients. Because if you can do that, I can assure you that even if the study doesn't go well, but the client knows that, you know what, these guys are really committed to give the right answer to the best of their abilities, the client will trust us to do the bigger transformation study. And that's what you want. You want the client to trust you at the end of the day. It's not about who has the best, the fanciest analytics it's not about who has, you know, the most fancy looking slides. I mean, our analytics and slides are pretty fancy, I would say. We do have proprietary benchmarks and databases we can deploy. But I mean, McKinsey has it as well. So I don't see what the big deal is. We basically have parity there. In fact, they probably have a better benchmark database. I mean, they're probably spending 
a thousand times more than we are spending on just that database. But my point is, you don't need all those fancy things to, to do good strategy. You need to have a very, very capable team who knows how to do strategy, puts the client's interest first, and stays focused on the problem. So to sum up, how are we going to ensure that we get the transformation work should it come up? We're going to get it by focusing 100% on what we're doing now and not trying to please the client. And that's just something that we will focus on. If the study comes up and we end up recommending to the client don't enter the U.S. retail market, even though 90% of the organization is preparing for that, we'll say it. And we will bear the consequences of that. Our job is not to make people happy. Doing what's in the best interest of a client is not about making the client happy. That is something 99% of people misunderstand. I get emails from people a lot of time telling me, but Michael, if you, if you, if you do this, of, of, we do what you're recommending, we're going to make the client unhappy. But how is that in the client's best interest? You know, doing things that are in the client's best interest is not always about making them happy. A lot of times it's about making them unhappy, but they don't realize that even though it's making them unhappy, it's good for them to do that. It's like eating vegetables when you're five years old. It's in your best interest to eat all that broccoli, but you don't feel good about it. You don't like your mum for making you eat those, those broccoli pieces, but you have to do it. Same philosophy here. We are going to get the transformation work if there's a need to do it, but we're going to get it by completely ignoring it and doing an outstanding job here to prevent the client from destroying billions of dollars of capital okay maybe not a billion maybe not billions of dollars but at least a billion dollars of capital by doing something completely ridiculous yeah? and by by i would say telling them the truth as we see it will earn the trust and respect of the client and if we can do that we will definitely get more work from them and again if we don't get the work we're fine we're not you know scheming our way to get more revenue from them that's not the objective our objective is to make sure that when we leave here the client is much better off than before we entered and I'm okay if the client says, Michael, you know what? What you did was amazing. It really helped us, but I think another firm is better suited to do this. I'm okay with that. But the reality is it won't happen because it doesn't work that way. If you put the client's interest first and you can see, if the client can see that you are willing to take a lot of criticism, a lot of heat, a lot of attacks from different stakeholders, and you are willing to take those attacks to do what is in their best interest, no client will, will, will push you away because they know that Having someone who will tell the truth, despite overbearing, overwhelming criticism and vested interest, that's worth your weight in gold. No client will want a management consultant who is just going to say what is conventional wisdom. So remember that when you get opportunities to sell on work, it's not about selling on anything. It's about focusing on the task at hand and being the right kind of consultant. If you ever get into a situation where you're saying, how do I sell them more work? then you failed. You get more, getting more work with a client is a byproduct out of ignoring future work and focusing on the task at hand. As counterintuitive as it sounds, that's how you actually do great work. You understand the current problem so well that no one else can develop the insights you can and therefore you become indispensable to the client. And when you become indispensable, Ergo, you can't be dispensed of and no one else can do the future work. So it's kind of counterproductive. Huh? We, you notice there's nothing about setting up sales teams. I never talked about having sales brainstorming sessions. I never talked about proposals. None of that. We don't do proposals. I write letters to clients. At 3 o'clock in the morning, I'll type them an email telling them my thoughts. And then I'll take that. I'll copy and paste it into a Word document, which becomes a three or four page letter of purpose, which becomes a proposal. And that's about it. You notice nothing about sales. It's all about focusing on the client. And that's how you sell at elite firms, by not selling, actually.